You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. I hope that everyone has found a seat. Uh, you have probably noticed that this is a family worship Sunday, and so if you are our guest and maybe missed the fact that there are some clipboards with some activity sheets and... Uh, colored pencils and things of that nature over here uh, by the wall. Feel free to jump up right now and run over and grab one of those. Keep those little hands busy uh, and just know uh, that uh, we are delighted that your kids are in the room today, okay? And uh, just know that that can sometimes uh, make you feel a little self-conscious, but uh, the truth is nobody's kids are perfect, okay? So just know that and uh, we're delighted they're here. And delighted that you're here. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 4 in our Bibles. Proverbs chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me also uh, let you know about a couple things coming up. Uh, at the end of August, we are planning a uh, summer celebration. This will be the first time that we as a church have used the new uh, Central Social District uh, Park down here. And so we plan to have a great time of uh, just uh, church family fellowship rejoicing in all that God has done over the summer particularly, and on the Sunday before that, uh, we will be uh, celebrating uh, all of summer ministry and showing you some video and images of all that God has done through camps and VBS and missions trips and all of those things, so we can look forward to that coming up in a few weeks. Also, uh, with the start of school, uh, we have some outreach opportunities, and if you are in a community group, you have probably already heard uh, that we need your help. Each of our community groups have been assigned a uh, local campus, and on that first Monday, I think it's the 15th, uh, after school starts, we are going to go be a blessing to our educators, and so we're going to provide uh, coffee and donuts and that kind of thing for them. So uh, if you were not aware of that, listen for that opportunity, and let me encourage you to uh, participate in that. It's a great, great uh, outreach opportunity. Well, this summer we're looking at the book of Proverbs and uh, focusing primarily on the speeches or the appeals from a father to his son found in the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. We already looked at the first four parental appeals. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the next three appeals, all found here in chapter four. Now I want to remind you by way of review uh, that we've said biblical wisdom uh, is the, uh, to see life from God's perspective, fundamentally. It is to understand God's instruction in the practical matters of life and choose to live out that truth in our daily lives. So it's not enough to just know the right thing to do. You've got to act on that. That is wisdom, to actually put God's word into practice. And we've said that in Scripture, wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is actually a person. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said there, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so if you want to see wisdom personified, uh, you look to Jesus Christ. Now the focus of the fifth appeal uh, is, is in many ways the importance of of passing down to each generation the nature of covenant life. Um, and in verses 1 through 9 here, the father, after giving an opening encouragement, he cites the appeal that his own father made to him. And the son is hearing wisdom, really, from the preceding two generations. 
Uh, the boy's grandmother is even mentioned in this passage. The sixth paternal appeal comes in verses 10 through 19 and asserts that everyone must make a choice between the way of wisdom and the way of folly. It's a theme that we see running throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, there are these two uh, differing uh, paths, uh, and we've got to choose each day. Which of these paths am I going to, uh, to follow? We can trace the course of each path to its inevitable conclusion and see these contrasting images uh, used to, to illuminate these two paths. And then verses 20 through 27 holds really the seventh uh, paternal appeal, and the emphasis is in safeguarding oneself on the path of wisdom. Staying the course uh, involves a discipline of the heart and the tongue and the eyes and the feet. And so let's look at it together, the entirety of Proverbs chapter 4. There are 27 verses. I hope that you will follow along as I read this morning. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Notice that connection between the head and the heart and actually living these things out. He says in verse number five, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Notice verse 10 says, much like verse 1, hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But in contrast, verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And then notice this repeating pattern in verse number 21. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. I know most of you probably remember the ad campaign that Verizon had a number of years ago. Can you hear me now? Remember that? The kind of quirky guy walking around. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I guess he, now he's jumped over to T-Mobile, right? Is that what? At any rate, that's kind of what we see here. 
uh, in Proverbs chapter 4. You notice this kind of repeating pattern as chapter 4 divides pretty neatly into three sections, all marked by the word or the idea of hearing and being attentive. It means actually taking what you are hearing and putting it into practice. And so it, he uses the language of keeping and guarding and, 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 and making it a part, t- taking it into your heart. And so you see that again in, in verse 1, in verse 10, in verse number 20. So Solomon uses here really three images uh, to illustrate the importance and the advantage of listening and being attentive to God's wisdom. Uh, I, I know that if, if you're a parent... Uh, There have certainly been times when you have told your child what they should do or what they should not do, and they didn't listen to you. Uh, Surely, my wife and I are not the only ones who have kids like that, right? Okay, And and, and so you were left to say, when they didn't heed your wisdom, and they touched the hot stove instead of staying away from it or whatever, it was like, if you would have just listened, if you would have just listened, you wouldn't have had to experience the pain that you're experiencing right now. And, of course, it, it becomes much more significant, it seems, the older we get. It's much more than just touching a hot stove, right? Stay away from this. Listen. Pay attention. That's what Solomon is saying here. If you will hear and you will be attentive to my wisdom, here are the things that you can expect. Here, here's the result of that, the advantages of listening. And so he uses the images of a marketplace. He uses the image of a map, essentially, and a health checkup. So I want us to to unpack this fourth chapter by looking at those three images. Notice, number one, godly wisdom teaches us what has the greatest value in the marketplace of life. Godly wisdom teaches us what has the greatest value in the marketplace of life. Notice particularly the repetition in verses 5 and 7. Look together at it again. It says there in verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. In verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Uh, We've said all along in this series of messages that wisdom is not something that just comes to us as we sit passively on the sidelines of the Christian life. Okay, It's something that we're to seek after. We see that kind of language throughout the book of Proverbs. Follow hard after it. Seek wisdom. Get wisdom is the word that's used here in our ESVs. He uses that word get four times. And the word means to acquire. It was actually used of commercial transactions. It literally translates buy or purchase wisdom and godly insight. It's actually the same word that's used in the 23rd chapter of Proverbs, verse number 23, where it says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So Solomon is saying here, of all the things that you can acquire, nothing holds the eternal value of wisdom. Isn't it interesting, the older we get, the more our values change. The things that we value when we're much younger and, and, and not so mature uh, are really things that are really insignificant. I can think of a few times early in my life where I thought, if I could just get this thing, this toy, this thing, my life would be complete. Only to discover that by the next Christmas, I had forgotten that thing, right? I mean, it didn't hold that kind of value to me as time went on. 
And the older we get and the more we mature and the more we see life from God's perspective, we begin to understand and see what it is that holds eternal value. And that's essentially what Solomon is saying here. He's like, son, you got to get wisdom. And of all the things that you can acquire in this life, of all the things that you can seek hard after, of all the things that you can prioritize, whether it's material possessions or position or any number of things that you can seek to acquire in life, know that nothing holds the eternal value of wisdom. How many of you have ever been to Canton before? Now, when I say Canton, I'm not talking about the town itself. I'm talking about Canton. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? When you say Canton, okay, I know it's a favorite spot for some of you. Not a favorite spot for me, okay, to be clear. Um, It's been a long time since I've been there, but I can remember going there with my grandmother one time years ago and thinking, when will this ever end? I mean, you just walk and walk and walk and walk, and you're going like, and you know, you go through there, and and there's a lot of junk, right? I mean, some of it's just junk. It just is. Uh, and, and it doesn't have much value. Some things can look like junk, but to the right person who knows what they're looking at, whether it's an antique or a collectible or something like that, it, it, it doesn't hold value to us unless we know the value of it. Okay, I, I can remember one of the most valuable things I ever got at Canton was a marshmallow blowgun. You know, the kind made out of PVC pipe? You know, you put a little marshmallow in there. <laughs> I mean, it, that thing was amazing. Okay, but it did not hold eternal value. I, don't, I have no idea where it is. It probably lasted all of six months uh, at my house as, as a kid. And so, but as you go through the flea market of life, Solomon is basically saying, of all the things that you could acquire, of all the things that might look appealing to you, of all the things that even look like they hold value, you've just got to know that nothing holds the eternal value of wisdom. Cherish wisdom Prize wisdom, value wisdom. Uh, I was thinking back uh, this week. I graduated from high school in 1985, uh, and that was the year, if I'm not mistaken, that the Jordan 1 came out. Air Jordans, right? Remember the black and red ones that were banned by the NBA? by David Stern at the time, and so they, they had this kind of ad campaign to follow up on that called Band, and Michael Jordan wore them anyway, and Nike paid the fines, or the, fee, the fines that he was charged for wearing those illegal Band shoes in all of those games. You would think that that's when shoe endorsements first started, but that's not true. Actually, the first shoe endorsements of that kind came as early as 1917 when Converse put a name on their shoe, Chuck Taylor. Anybody ever wore some chucks? Some of the first basketball shoes I remember getting. I mean, just straight up canvas, uh, you know, high tops, whatever, chuck tailors, right? And so, but now to look at the shoe industry and to think how much people are paying for a pair of these shoes, right? And I can remember even in 1985 when those first Jordans came out, that, that, that pretty quickly there were knockoffs, Remember, you'd get one of those friends, and you'd look down, and they'd have black and red tennis shoes on, and you're like, holy, and then you go, wait a minute, you got those at Walmart, didn't you? You know, it's like, those are not the real deal. They don't have that jump man on them, or whatever, you know. What is it that gives those shoes so much value? I mean, there have been stories in recent years of like people like losing their life over shoes, right? I mean, people will pay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these shoes, what gives them that kind of value to people? 
whether they actually have value or not. It's the endorsement. It's the athlete who has endorsed the shoe. And so now there are LeBrons and there are, you know, Currys. And all, who, they all have got to get their shoe. And now college athletes can get these kinds of endorsements and things. And so, so when Solomon says here, of all the things that you can acquire in the marketplace of life, the things that hold the most value, that hold eternal value, are those things that are endorsed by the source of wisdom. Those things that are endorsed by God himself. And so there are other things that you may find attractive. There are other things that may hold some value to you and can be significant. But nothing holds the eternal value of those things that are endorsed by God himself. And so godly wisdom teaches us what has the greatest value in the marketplace of life. Number two. I want you to notice that godly wisdom shows us the road with the fewest dangerous curves and the best lights. The fewest dangerous curves and the best lights. He will show us the straight path or the path of uprightness. And again, Solomon is using this picture of these two distinctly different paths or roads that can be chosen in life. Isn't it interesting when you hear some people's story, and maybe you even use this kind of language when you tell your story. It was like, yeah, for a period of time in my early 20s or my 30s, I was on the wrong path. And we typically know what that means. I had chosen the wrong road. I had chosen a road that was characterized by danger and by heartache. And I was giving myself and pursuing things that I really shouldn't be pursuing. And I, I thought life was all about, you know, having a great time and, and the party scene and all those sorts of things. But all that led to was addiction and broken relationships and all of these kinds of things. And so Solomon is saying here, there are two distinctly different paths. One leads to danger. And some roads are just more dangerous than others. I was reminded of that just a few weeks ago. Uh, Jace and I were the only ones who uh, could drive the 15-passenger vans that we rented for the Wyoming mission trip. And so um, the way our group divided up, uh, it divided pretty neatly between guys and girls. So Jace uh, had the guy's van, and I had the girl's van. In fact, one evening, I called my wife to check in, and she said, how's it going? I said, I am living my best life right now. I said, I'm driving around Casper, Wyoming with a van full of girls singing Taylor Swift songs at the top of their lungs. It just doesn't get much better than that. No, we really had a great time. And I can assure you, on some of the excursions that we took, we went to see some sites, went to Independence Rock, went up on Casper Mountain, went to these different places. There's some pretty crazy roads that we traveled. Some narrow, winding roads with hairpin turns and steep drop-offs. And I would hear them squealing in the back of the van occasionally. And I mean, there was a long stretch of this road where there were no guardrails. And I mean, it just brought with it some inherent danger. And I knew that if I'm not locked in on what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not paying attention, then this could go very badly. Because it, that, that road was dangerous. That's, that's kind of what Solomon is saying here. Of the roads that you can choose in life, some are really, really dangerous. When Christy and I were first married, we lived on a dairy farm in northwestern Pennsylvania while I was going to seminary. and uh, We lived a, a number of miles away from the campus and the church where I was serving on staff at that time. And uh, To get from our home to the campus and to the church, we had to drive through uh, what the locals called Jumbo Woods. I mean, just a little narrow, blacktop road, no lighting whatsoever, dark. 
especially dangerous during hunting season. I mean, you would drive through there and kind of keep your head low. You're just like, I mean, it would just had some dangers with it. And deer could easily jump in front of you without you seeing them because the brush was so high on both sides of the road. In fact, I completely demolished a really nice Mazda 626 back then uh, because I just, I hit a deer broadside. And so you would go through that stretch of woods. You would go down that stretch of road using a great deal of caution because you knew it was dangerous. And so Solomon is going as far as to say here, there are some roads in life you better stay off of. You just avoid this path, avoid this road because it has dangerous curves and it's not well lit. In fact, notice the contrasting descriptions of those two paths in verses 18 and 19. He says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You ever get up in the middle of the night and and stub your toe? Why, Why is that? It's usually because the room's dark. You can't see very well. And so that's what Solomon's getting at here. He's saying this path that you could choose that may in some ways look appealing to you and look like it's going to lead to a lot of fun and a lot of fulfillment in your life, ultimately it's very dangerous. And and there's things to avoid here. Stay away from this. Don't go on it. That's the language that he uses here. Godly wisdom shows us the road with the fewest dangerous curves and the best lights. Number three. Godly wisdom shows us how to have optimal spiritual health. Godly wisdom shows us how to have optimal spiritual health. So as important as our physical health is, and the older we get, the more we realize how important our physical health is, right? I just had a a physical just a few weeks ago with my doctor and went through all of the uh, you know, the typical uh, annual physical type stuff, checking my blood pressure, checking my blood sugar, all the things that they do, listening to my heart and, and all of that kind of stuff. I want to make sure, hey, you don't need to have any further testing done or there's nothing about your lab work that, that would show us, you know, something that's, that's out of order or whatever. And as important as our physical health is, how much more important is our spiritual health? So billions and billions of dollars are spent every year on physical health. Whether it's diet programs, exercise programs, uh, supplement programs, any number of things. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And I'm not suggesting that those things are bad necessarily. I think we should be good stewards of the bodies that God entrusts to us. But we have to know, as the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, Hey, bodily exercise profits little. In the grand scheme of things... It doesn't have eternal value. Eventually, your body will break down. He said in another place, he said, in this tent, talking about his body, I groan. (laughs) I groan. And again, the older we get, the more we groan, right? I mean, it's much more noisy just when we get up out of a chair, you know? I just, you feel it. You feel the the years, right, mounting up and the miles that you put on those legs and, and those kinds of things. He says, Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So as important as our physical health is, how much more important is our spiritual health? And I have to wonder if we put the same emphasis on our spiritual health that we do our physical health. You say, yeah, but I can typically tell when I'm physically not well. 
I have, you know, migraine, you know, stress-induced migraines, and so I can just tell when something's not right. I'm, of course, a diabetic, and so I can tell typically when my blood sugar's high or certainly if it's low, and there are certain indicators. You might say, well, I, I don't necessarily have that spiritually. That's not a great sign. That's not a great sign. Because that would tell me that you don't have the spiritual sensitivity that you really need to know when you're not spiritually healthy. So let's talk about this for a moment. The first thing you've got to know about spiritual health is this. We're not just talking about moralism here. Okay? Proverbs is not just a book on moralism. Okay? A spiritually healthy life is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, why would you say that? Well, the truth is, you don't even have a spiritual heartbeat. You, you have not even been made alive until you have turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ. He takes us from death to life. That's why we say often here, Jesus did not come live a sinless, perfect life to die on a cross, ultimately to rise from the dead, to just make good people better. He came and did all those things, fulfilling the Father's mission of redemption to make dead people alive. So this morning, when I say that godly wisdom shows us how to have optimal spiritual health, I'm not suggesting that it just shows us how to be genuinely good people. No, it begins with that relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing not just Jesus as a great teacher, a revolutionary uh, leader, uh, knowing him as Savior and Lord. Now, a spiritually healthy life is also maintained through regular spirituals. So as important as it was for me to, uh, to go to my doctor and to do a physical checkup, the reason I do that is, uh, and, and I like my doctor fine, I consider him a friend, but I don't do that because I just want to go chat with Dr. Westmoreland, okay? I do that because I know that that regular checkup can reveal some things about my physical health that may need attention. You've got to maintain your physical health in the, in the same way that you would maintain a vehicle. Uh, I, by the grace of God, I was able to get a new vehicle a few months ago, and I, I am determined to maintain that vehicle. It costs too much money to not properly maintain them and change the oil and rotate and balance the tires and all the things that you should do to maintain a vehicle. The same thing is true of our spiritual health. It's not something that's going to happen accidentally because you show up at church once in a while. It's something that has to be maintained. And so if I was to, to talk to a, a medical doctor, and maybe even some of you this morning, and I would say, what are, what are some things that are necessary to maintain physical health? You would most likely give me at least four things. You would say, well, diet is important. The way that you eat, what you eat, how much you eat, <laughs> all those things. You, they, they, you would say, exercise is important. And that's why a lot of, a lot of health experts would say, if you're just starting down a, a pathway of health and restoring health and achieving health, they would say fundamentally move more and eat less, right? Those two things together. Eat the right things. So diet, exercise, they would tell you that hygiene is important. Good hygiene is important. And they would also tell you that rest is important. Now there are other things that are important for our physical health, maintaining our physical health, but at least those four things for sure, right? So how does that correspond to spiritual health? Well, we would say if you're going to be spiritually healthy, God's Word would tell us that you've got to maintain a good spiritual diet. 
You've got to take in the Word of God, and you've got to do it with consistency, and you've got to, you've got to dig in and not be content with just the, the milk of the Word, but the meat of the Word. And so we should be not just hearing God's Word, not just reading God's Word. We should be studying God's Word and meditating on God's Word and memorizing God's Word. That's how you maintain a good spiritual diet. And while there are a lot of books out there that you can read that will shed light on, on God's Word and great teachers and commentaries, and, and those are tools that I use. But it's like one of my seminary professors used to always tell me, you just got to know and understand, the Bible will shed a lot of light on those commentaries. So get into the Word. Get into the Word and let the Word get into you. If you're going to maintain good spiritual health, it starts with a good, solid spiritual diet. The second thing is exercise. You say, what does that look like? Again, the Apostle Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Exercise yourself, he said, to godliness. Exercise yourself to godliness. So you've got to put into practice the things that you were learning. That's where the diet and the exercise go together. Okay, And someone who's a diabetic and is consistently counting carbohydrates and, and thinking about the things that I put into my mouth and, and those kind of things, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, how is my body going to process these carbohydrates? And how is my body going to process these carbohydrates in connection with these proteins over here? And so in the same way, we've got to say, it's not just enough to know God's word, to have a head knowledge of it. That's that connection that we consistently talk about in our discipleship here. It's got to go from your head to your heart, then to your hands. You've got to live it out. Put it into practice. Exercise yourself unto godliness. It's a huge part of maintaining optimal spiritual health. And then hygiene. Hygiene. What would that look like? What do you suppose would happen if you decided that for, uh, say, a couple of weeks, you just weren't going to brush your teeth? You might lose a few friends, right? I mean, it would have an impact on your health, I guarantee you. If you weren't going to bathe properly, if you weren't going to practice good hygiene, it would have an impact on your health. And the same thing is true spiritually. That's why scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My dad used to always say it this way, son, you should always keep short sin accounts. In other words, as God reveals things to you through his word and by his Holy Spirit that need attention, that need change, things from which you should turn and repent, do it. Do it. Don't let that, that disease of sin and pride and bitterness and all of the different things that can infect us spiritually, don't let those things go unchecked. You've got to practice good spiritual hygiene, regularly repenting, confessing, saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. It's an integral part of maintaining good spiritual health. And then rest. Rest. You say, Pastor, I'm, I'm all about the rest. <laughs> I'm all about that. How do we rest spiritually? One of the ways that we know that something's not right physically many times is because we're losing sleep. You talk to somebody who's maybe dealing with some chronic pain or something like that, and one of the things that they struggle with the most is getting good sleep. So sometimes when they tell you, wow, man, I got a good three hours last night, for some people that's a big step, right? That sleep's important. That rest is important. What does that look like spiritually? Well, I think we're to rest on the promises of God. 
And over the last two or three years particularly, we've had a lot of reasons to give in to fear and to worry and anxiety and and all those things. I mean, there's been a global pandemic. There's been political unrest. There's been racial tension. There's been all these things now. The economy's crazy and inflation and recession. And what does all this mean? The job market, what's happening here? This is crazy. The world's just getting crazier all the time. Some of you are losing sleep over it. Some of you are losing spiritual rest over it. The scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, of power and of love and of a sound mind as we rest on the promises of God. As we rely upon him, we just sang about it. He just sang about it. He's never failed me yet. And that doesn't mean that he's planning to in the future. He never fails. Now, as we wrap it up this morning, I want you to notice how Solomon emphasizes Heart health. Heart health. The 23rd verse of Proverbs chapter 4 is probably one of the better known verses in this chapter, if not all of Proverbs. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so he, he, uses, he talks about the ears and the mouth and the eyes and the feet and all these things. But, but no pun intended here, the heart of it is the heart. The heart of it is the heart. Let's face it, there have probably been times for all of us who've been followers of Jesus Christ for very long at all that we would say, I was just going through the motions. My feet were carrying me to church. You know, I, I was mouthing the words. <laughs> but my heart was not in the right place. That's why God's word makes it so clear that we can fool each other. I can fool you, you can fool me, but there's none of us fooling God because he knows the condition of our heart. And that's why he stresses the condition of our heart so much. It's the very center of who we are. He's not talking here about the physical muscle that's pumping blood through your body. He's talking about the very center of who you are. So he says, you've got to guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. It's got to be in the right place. We've said it this way throughout this series of messages. Your passions determine your priorities, and your priorities determine your path. So we should constantly be asking ourselves, what are the things that I love the most? What are those things that I am pursuing with the greatest passion? Is it that position at work? Is it that bigger house, that better car? It could be any number of things. Or are you passionately pursuing the knowledge of God and wisdom that is personified in the person of Jesus Christ? Your passions determine your priorities, and your priorities determine your path. If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I'm so grateful for how practical God's word is. There's probably not a person in the room who would say, well, I don't need any more wisdom. I got all I need. Don't need any more discernment. I got it all figured out. We need to remember that when we're talking about wisdom, 
from a biblical perspective, we're not just talking about the ability to make good decisions, although that's a part of it. Fundamentally, we're talking about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ who personifies wisdom. So again, if you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, then you've not yet been made alive spiritually. And I would invite you to take that step of faith today. It's acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you can't save yourself. That you can't possibly, even on your best day, be good enough to earn God's favor. The only way you can truly be in a right relationship with God and be made alive spiritually is through faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to share with you today, before you leave this place, what it means to be in a right relationship with God. Not because of anything you've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. There may be others who would say, Pastor, my testimony is one of faith in Christ, but if I'm completely honest, I'm not choosing the path of wisdom. There are some things that have so arrested my attention and my passions and my priorities that I've kind of lost my way. I need to return and live out of a clear understanding of what truly holds eternal value. Of the path that leads to spiritual health, wholeness. I'm not spiritually healthy like I should be. You may be here today and maybe you've just brought with you this morning a particular burden, a care, a concern. Maybe it's about a recent health diagnosis, a relationship matter, issue at work. We want to be a place in a church family where those who are hurting can find hope and healing. And there are people who would love to pray with you. Love to pray for you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we have the privilege to join together here around your word. And I pray that it truly transform us. We don't want to leave here today just better informed. We want to leave here today transformed by the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word, they be drawn to you today. For those who are here today who may not be walking in wisdom, who've got misplaced priorities, and not spiritually healthy. I pray, God, that you would restore them to health and bring them back into a growing, vibrant relationship with you that is healthy. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.